The Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So he said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. Warning, this is not the beginning of the sermon. This is what I call my pre-ramble. Um, as, as Pastor Mary said, I am assistant to the bishop for youth and young adults. And because I am the first assistant to the bishop for youth and young adults in South Carolina, I like to explain what I do. I, I usually do like to say that I have the most fun job in the synod because I send the bishop and Pastor Jenny off to do all the hard work and I spend all my time doing youth retreats and young adult activities and I basically have the best job in the synod. So what that means is a couple of things and my title is pretty descriptive. One is I work with the youth and youth is anybody who's under 12th grade, just graduated really and under 12th grade. And we have for our youth something known as LCY. It's our youth ministry in South Carolina. Is anybody, someone who grew up either in LCY or who has been involved in youth ministry as a young person? It's okay to raise your hands in church. So I see a few people. And for those of y'all who have been involved in youth ministry, you know that youth ministry is one of the most important formational opportunities of our lives. It's one of the places where I figured out that I wanted to be a pastor It's one of the places where we discover what it means to not just be a part of a congregation, but to understand that we really are part of something that's bigger than the congregations where we worship. And in LCY, we have something that's really unique in the ELCA. First, I think we might have more activities than any other synod. But second, LCY is really distinct and unique because it really belongs to the youth of the South Carolina Synod. In the same way that the women of the ELCA and the Lutheran Men in Mission are fraternal organizations and they have their constitution, and even though they're part of our ministry, they're separate, LCY is that exact same thing. The constitution of LCY says that the youth are in charge. So we talk about ministry by, with, and for youth with a real emphasis on by. It means that LCY is an opportunity for for our youth to learn about leadership. It's an opportunity for them to do theology. They pick our theme for the year. This year, the theme is Do Love Walk, based on, based on Micah 6.8. They pick the t-shirts that you see them wearing, which ends up being one of their favorite and most important tasks. They pick the themes for retreats. This, this summer, one of the things that our youth in South Carolina did that I am tremendously proud of is our LCY convention this year took place two days after the shootings in Charleston. And Thursday night, as I was with the leaders who were preparing it, the youth leaders walked up to me and said, Pastor Eric, we would like to do something to to help to to make it known that we don't approve this. And I said, well, we're at a convention. You can pass a resolution. And they said, Pastor Eric, we said we want to do something. 
So this was a great teaching moment. I said, you can pass a resolution that says you'll do something. And so the youth got together over that weekend. They, they wrote and passed through their body the resolution against racial injustice, which y'all should have received a copy of in the mail, and I'm sure Pastor Anderson is just waiting on the right moment to share with you. Also, there's an LCY schedule in that same letter, and if she hasn't shared it to you, don't tell her, but you can tell her that it, I know she has it. Um, and what the re- resolution against racial injustice says is that the youth of South Carolina stand against racism in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and in our congregations, and that they are planning to and working actively against it wherever they are. And yesterday at our LCY cabinet meeting, and if you're wondering who, what kind of people we have representing us in South Carolina, Ethan Overcash is the representative for this conference, and so you can find out from him all the things we have planned. At our cabinet meeting yesterday, our youth had a really intense and uncomfortable conversation about race and decided that from here on we're going to have a representative, a youth and an adult on cabinet from both the African-American community and from the Hispanic community because these are two groups of people who are increasing in their presence in the South Carolina Synod and they want to figure out how to really work with this authentically. So our youth in South Carolina aren't just there to sing and have fun and play games, although we do a lot of that. But our youth in South Carolina really are working to be leaders in the Synod and make a difference everywhere they go. The second thing that I do is work with young adults. And young adult ministry in South Carolina is really interesting because I don't think we have a lot of young adult ministry in the Synod, which makes my job in some ways much easier because we get to make it up as we go along. And in some ways it makes my job a lot more scary because we have to make it up as we go along. But here's what it looks like right now in the Columbia area, at least in terms of what the Synod's doing, and what y'all can come be a part of. On the second Tuesday of the month, and the next one I believe is September 9th, if that's the second, September 8th, if that's the second Tuesday of September, we meet at the British Bulldog at 6 o'clock and we eat. At 7 o'clock we worship, and after that we have a conversation about life, the universe, and everything until either they kick us out or 9 o'clock when my wife likes me home, whichever comes first. So I would love to invite all people who are young adults, and we define define that as basically out of high school till about 40 because I want a couple years where I can still claim to be a young adult. And also, if you're no longer someone who can claim being young, but you're someone who's interested in promoting ministry with young adults, we'd invite you to join with us as well because one of the things we're trying to do by having this gathering at the Bulldog is create a community that supports the people who are engaged in this ministry. And there is no ministry that exists and flourishes without the involvement of the entire community. So if if any of this sounds interesting to you, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you. I'll be around for just a little bit after the service. This uh, thus concludes my pre-ramble. So here's the sermon. Two points for anyone who can tell me where all of this John 6 stuff began. What, what, happened, what happened at the beginning of John 6 that caused all this bread of life stuff? What did Jesus do? I hear someone answering. The feeding of the 5,000. 5, Jesus did something that was singularly marvelous and singularly miraculous, so important that it appears in all four Gospels. And in John's Gospel, which is my favorite accounting of it, Something really different and interesting happens. 
Jesus feeds the 5,000. Everyone eats their fill. That's not the different part. Hold on. And then Jesus goes away. The next day, the people come back to find Jesus. And Jesus gets a little bit frustrated. And he says to them in in his frustration, you didn't come back because you're looking for spiritual food. You didn't come back because you had a religious experience, because you had an encounter with the Spirit. You're not coming back because you're seeking God. You're coming back because you ate your fill of the bread and the fish. And so Jesus launches in to a discourse about what real food and what real drink are, what real nourishment is, what it really means to live a life in God, what it really means to be fed and to have what you need for your life to survive that might be the longest chapter in John. And so we have in these, what is it, 15, 16 weeks of the bread of life? Is that about what it is? You know, we, we have here these several weeks where we have these sermons about bread and Pastor Mary told me that y'all are doing something cool with communion. Each week you're having bread from a different part of the world. And I think that's a really neat way to, to break up some of the bread of life stuff. And so Jesus is talking about that because in some ways, the feeding of the 5,000 might have been the least successful thing that he ever did. Now, isn't that an interesting way to think about it? Jesus took a couple loaves and a couple fish and managed to feed 5,000 people. And, and I'm saying it might be the least successful thing he ever did. Why would I say that? I say that because I think it's one of the least understood things that he ever did. Because those 5,000 people didn't get what Jesus was trying to get across to them with this sign. That God's abundance overcomes our fear of scarcity. That in the kingdom of God... People who are hungry have the food that they need to survive and not just the physical food that we crave, but also the spiritual food that fills us up. In the kingdom of God, God wants to be so present with us that there is no question that everywhere we go and everything we do is infused with what God is doing in us. And if this was the message that Jesus was trying to get across, and I think it was, then In this way, the feeding of the 5,000 was really a flop. It was a great trick. But Jesus' comment the next day to the crowds, you didn't come back because you wanted spiritual food. You came back because you wanted your fill of bread and fish again. You know, that indicates just how successful Jesus really thought this action really was. And then he launches into a lecture. And today's part of the lecture is really kind of interesting because we see here... Jesus, in some ways, making a shift and also really trying to drive the point home. And warning, I'm about to say something that refers to a language called Greek, but I promise I'm not actually going to use a Greek word. So Jesus, when he says the first time, those who eat my body and drink my blood, when he says the word eat, what he's saying is kind of eat, like we would sit down and casually eat a meal. But the second and third times he says it, he shifts the word he uses, and the word, and it becomes something more like this, and I'm going to read this part to you. Very truly I tell you, unless you gnaw on the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who crunch on my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. All of a sudden, isn't that a much different way of hearing that? You know, we can, we can hear Jesus really trying to drive the point home 
by bringing up this image of gnawing and crunching. You know, I can, I can, I can eat an Oreo, but typically when I eat an Oreo, what it makes me want is more Oreos, and I end up really straight gutting them. I and I eat with enthusiasm and zest because, let's face it, I'm a guy who likes Oreos, and I kind of look like I like Oreos, right? Or, or we remember, we know what it's like to to be hungry. And we just sent off a bunch of teenagers and college students and other people who are young, and we know what those appetites are like. I remember when I was a teenager, I could sit down and eat mom and dad out of house and home and not take a breath. And I, yeah, y'all know. So, you know, we, we know what it is to be so hungry and enthusiastic about the food we eat, but we also know what it's like to kind of eat the same thing over and over and not be too enthusiastic about it. Jesus is saying to the people, don't eat your spiritual food as if it was just one more thing to be consumed. Because sometimes our faith life is like that, isn't it? We we lay down in in bed and we're we're doing all the different things that we do. And most most of the time, if you're like me, you may be tethered to the screen because you're checking that last email or that last Facebook post or someone's wrong on the internet and you really have to help them out. And you know, you get ready to go to sleep and you're like, oh yeah, I, I guess I should pray. And so you say the, maybe the same prayer that you say every night. Sometimes it's really like that. Sometimes, you know, I, I find that my life of prayer gets kind of dull and mundane and I, and I feel kind of spiritually empty and I go through the motions. Maybe some of y'all have experienced that. But sometimes in my life, I'm ravenous. And I'm hungering and thirsting for the presence of God, and maybe I don't even know it. Two times when this has happened to me. Once was when I was a counselor at Lutheridge. And uh, sometimes at Lutheridge, when you're a counselor at any camp, you have that one camper who hangs on your heels and kicks the back of your feet. And if there is a moment that he's not saying a word, it's because there's either food in his mouth or because he has to take an occasional breath. And Sunday night, these people are okay because you're fresh and you're doing something good and you have all these great campers and, oh, this one's just a little enthusiastic. And Monday, they follow you on the trail and they're right behind you and bump into you and it's okay because they're still new and they're still fresh and they're still cute and they're in third grade and, you're, and they're okay and their little, their little mouths are running, but it's okay because you've had a weekend. And Tuesday, it's the second day on the trail, and you notice that you've stumbled three times and might have just twisted your ankle, and they haven't been quiet, and you wonder if they're ever going to shut up. And by Wednesday, they've bumped into me again. They never shut up. He talked in his sleep. I don't know what to do with him. And by Wednesday night, I was frustrated, and I was tired, and I had no clue what to do, and he hadn't been quiet for three days, and that night, we went to the campfire, and at the campfire... I got a break because I play guitar. And so while they were over there doing a devotion, I was strumming on the guitar. It was Amazing Grace to the tune of Peaceful, Easy Feeling. And uh, the the devotion went like this. There was a town with a stone table and a great castle. And this stone table, nobody knew where it came from, but it had always been there. And every morning, a a loaf of fresh-baked bread showed up on the table, and nobody knew where it came from. And once a year, everyone gathered around And they got all the people who were coming of age to gather around this table. And they asked the people who were there who were coming of age, would you eat of this bread? And that tradition continued every year. And part of that tradition was the people who were gathered would say no. And they would say no because three things were rumored to have happened. One, if you eat this bread, then you're going to become everyone's servant. And let's face it, we like to be nice. We, We like to share things with other people. But who really wants to be everyone's servant? 
The second thing would, that would happen is that if you eat this bread, not only would you be everyone's servant, but you would disappear. And even though sometimes, and especially that night after three days with that kid, disappearing would have been nice, but that was kind of open-ended and ambiguous. And so let's say no to that one too. And the third thing was the real censure. The third thing was anyone who eats of this bread will die. And, you know, there's an old blues song that says everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And this was true back then. And so the tradition was they would gather around this table and ask three times, we eat this bread? And three times the people would say no. And we all know that a story is not a story unless something changes. And so this night, they gathered all the elders and the chief priests and all the people who were anybody and gathered with this young man who was coming of age. And they said to him, will you eat this bread? And he said, yes. And mom cried and dad cussed and the elders tried to talk him into something, but eventually they had to ask him again you know, will you eat this bread? And he said, yes. And a long time passed, and they tried to reason with him, they tried to cajole him, they tried to threaten him, they tried to explain to him, you know, nobody's eating this bread. We don't do things this way. And finally, they had to ask him again, will you eat this bread? And he said, yes. A strange thing happened. Turns out that at least the first rumor was true. He became everybody's servant. When, when people needed help, he helped them. When, when the local widow needed someone to help plant her crop, he helped plant the crop. When, when people needed help on the side of the road, he helped on the side of the road. When people were hungry, he found ways to feed them. And turns out that the second part of this was true as well, that he, he did disappear because from time to time he'd go off and help people in other places. I don't know if they had Yagam, but perhaps that's a, that's a way that he disappeared, you know. He'd go and help people in neighboring towns, and he would be gone for long periods of time. And as it turns out, the third thing was true as well, and, and maybe these people were Lutherans because they were offended that he would dare depart from their tradition because nobody had ever done that before. Now, I understand that's not an attitude at incarnation, but down the road at places like Ebenezer, I hear they have a couple people like that who get really frustrated. And, and so they were so upset and so angry that he would break with their traditions, that they did. They killed him. And so the, at the end of the story, as I was strumming quietly, the, the end of it goes like this. There was a loaf of bread, and I think it was Wonder Bread because we only use high-quality stuff at Lutheridge. And they said, if, if you would like to live this kind of life, then come up and get this bread. And so there I was. I was strumming away, happy because no one was talking to me. And I feel someone standing really close to me. And I look down, and it was this kid who all I wanted him to do was shut up. And he said to me, I knew that you were playing guitar, and you probably weren't going to have a chance. Have some bread. There was no pastor. There was no blessing. We didn't do any chanting. But that was the body of Christ. That was the presence of God with me through him. Because God often comes to us in ways that we just don't expect. And, and the second time, and these aren't the only two times, but they're my favorite two. And one of, the, one of the benefits of being an assistant to the bishop is I preach in different places. And so I can tell all my best stories everywhere I go. Um, the second time is I was getting ready to get married. I was about 23 years old. And so I was kind of at one of those points in my life where I had no idea what I was supposed to do because I'd been living in this prolonged adolescence that a lot of 23-year-olds enjoy. But I was getting ready to get married, so I knew a few things, that I needed a terminal graduation date. 
not this maybe I'll change my major again thing that I'd been on. You know, I, I knew that somehow I needed to be an adult for my wife, but I, I had no idea what that looked like. I, I knew that I had been avoiding and was discerning a call to ministry, but I, I just was not certain that I was ready to really take the plunge and, and really seriously talk about it. And I was just, I was lost and didn't know what to do. And so I, I did what I do a lot of times is I started writing. And I, I wrote for, I, I say three days because it's a nice theological number. It might have been two days. It might have been one day. It could have been four, I don't know. But a long time, I sat there and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I was hungry. And at this point, I used to do a lot of my writing at the Waffle House. And so food was ready, readily accessible. Coffee was readily accessible. And I ate a lot. And I never could get full. And Sunday morning came, and I was tired, and I was still hungry. And I was thinking, maybe I'll skip some church and get some waffles. But I knew that if I went to church, Mom, who was the choir director, would feed me lunch. And being in college, free food was still a big motivator. And so I went to church. And we sang the hymns, and I heard the sermon, and it was all all right. And then we got to the communion, and I heard the pastor say, you know, the night when she was betrayed, Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave us to disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you, and I heard, yeah, 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 and so I went up, and I looked up at the face of my pastor, who'd been my pastor since I was in third grade, and he handed me the little styrofoam wafer, and I ate it, and a little thimble full of wine, and I drank it, and I was full. I'd been ravenous, and I was full. And I don't think that it's the nutritional content in the wafer that did it. But if I was looking for the food that would fill my belly, I tried and I couldn't find it. Because what I was really looking for was the, fo- the food that was going to fill my heart, the food that was going to fill my soul, the, fill that, the food that was going to fill that empty space within me that had no clue which way I was going but needed to hear that I was someone who mattered someone who was valued, someone who belonged during a time in my life where I had no clue where I belonged at all. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Those who gnaw on my flesh and drink my blood will have eternal life. Do not eat this spiritual food lightly, but know that the food and drink that Jesus offers is the food and drink that we'll be gnawing on and crunching between our teeth for the rest of our lives and we still won't understand really what it's all about. But day after day and year after year as we experience the presence of God in our lives through hearing the word preached, through the community gathered to sing and pray and rejoice, through the waters of baptism that we revel in year after year, through the meal of communion in which we get the bread and wine that gives us life, through our everyday encounters with God, through the people that we meet and the things that we do, we are gnawing and chewing and seeking and being filled over and over again. Stay hungry. Stay thirsty. And don't try to eat away your emotional issues. Don't try to eat away your spiritual issues. Don't go for the junk food that's just going to leave you hungry. But look for the meat that can only come from Jesus. Amen.